Hi there, you're listening to One Person's Trash is Our Treasure. I'm your host, Rachel. And I'm your other host, Jen. We're a podcast where we discuss underrepresented and underappreciated media. Rachel, it's February. The month of romance. And love. I guess. (laughs) So to celebrate, we're having two themed episodes this month uh, that have to do with romance. Mm -hmm. And not romance. (laughs) Also romance. Yeah, just bad romance. And not the Lady Gaga song. (laughs) I was just about to start singing it. (laughs) (laughs) This was, once again, your idea, as all of our good ones are. We had a lot of fun recording this episode. We did. We basically just got to sit in Rachel's office and talk about all of our favorite ships. (laughs) Yeah. So today we're going to talk about our favorite ships Mm -hmm. from things that aren't romances. Yeah. And also uh, non-canon ships. Like crack pairings and stuff like that. The reason that I wanted to talk about this is because sometimes when you're watching something that's meant to be romantic... For example, romantic comedies, I Mm -hmm. very rarely actually find them romantic. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even with romance novels, you know, I I don't find them particularly romantic. Yeah. But then I can watch, you know, a sitcom on Fox and just... Get butterflies. Get butterflies because of how romantic an interaction is between two of the characters. For sure. So that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. Romances from things that are not intended to be romantic for whatever reason, whether it's the genre or writer's intentions or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's kind of a departure for us. I guess a little, but at the same time, romantic subplots... And romantic plots in general are very often... Looked down upon. I was literally about to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, people shit on romance all the time. Yeah, and, there's, um, there's definitely a feeling of, oh, that's unnecessary. Which, you know, granted, sometimes we very much feel that it is unnecessary. Absolutely. But... But sometimes writers and producers do romance really well. Yeah, or just all the moving parts come together unintentionally to form a great pairing. If you want to find us online, you can find us on our website, onepersonstrashisourtreasure.com. You can also find us on our Twitter at Optiot, that's O-P-T-I-O-T, and on our Instagram at OptiotPod. And we're also on Tumblr, optiot.tumblr.com. Still nothing there. Yep. (laughs) We are the worst. A little bit. We'll work on it. Yep. All right. With that in mind. Enjoy. Yeah. (laughs) See you at the end. So to kind of frame and control our discussion today, (laughs) we're going to kind of divide it into three categories. Okay. The first category is going to be couples that are from media that is not primarily a romantic genre. Yes. Action movies, sitcoms, you get the idea. Mm -hmm. And the parameters for this category are, one... That the genre the couple is a part of is not a romantic genre. Mm -hmm. Two, the couple at some point openly acknowledged their feelings for one another. And three, they are officially together at some point. The second category is not official couples. Mm -hmm. And the parameters for that are that the couple has sexual or romantic tension that was intended by its creators. Okay. And two, that they never officially get together. Our final category is crack pairings. And the parameters for these are that there is no romantic or sexual tension between them that was real or intended by the creators, Mm -hmm. or that the relationship is not meant to be romantic or shipped for whatever reason. It could be that the relationship is supposed to be, like, super unhealthy, or it's all a lie, or whatever. So, Jen, let's start with the first category. Okay. All right. My first one is Mass Effect. Okay. Uh, It's one of my favorite video games of all time. It is an RPG space opera. It's it's a story-driven third-person shooter where you play as Commander Shepard. And it's a Bioware game. And if you have played any of the Bioware games, like if you've played Dragon Age, Dragon Age Inquisition or whatever, you know that there are romance options for the game. And specifically my favorite couple, and you know this, is Shepard, Commander Shepard, and an alien named Garrus Vicarian who is my space husband, and I love him, and he's wonderful. Google image search him. He's super hot. 
He's a very handsome alien He's man. a super handsome alien man. And, you know, I'm an authority on the subject. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I love him. Oh, my God. He's, like, the best. There was a time when this pairing actually could have fallen under a crack pairing. Because when the first Mass Effect game came out, he was in it and was not a romantic option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was actually a female alien who was in it who was also not a romantic option. And fans were like, hey, we want to fuck the aliens. Yeah. What's up? And Bioware <laughs> was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so they became canon, mm-hmm. if you so chose, which a lot of people do. So... Why did you choose them? Okay, what's romantic about Garrison Shepard? Hmm. I don't know. Part of it is my love for aliens, honestly. That's fine. But but also, you know, I do, I love him. And part of the reason I love him is his respect for her. Because he actually, he has a lot of respect for her. She's his commanding officer, mm-hmm. technically. So. Hey, that's sexy. Yeah. And he, like... I don't know. He he he's like into how how brave and and cool she is and like you know, he supports her. And because of the way when the first game came out, he wasn't a romantic option. They were friends first. Mm-hmm. And I really really loved their dynamic as friends. I found it to be a little romantic tensiony, but that was obviously not the intention. I don't know. I think he's sexy. <laughs> I mean, like, if you ask, like, fans of the ship or whatever, like, he's sexy. Yeah, I think sexiness has a lot to do with personality. And Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. We'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, like, a good guy. Okay. So the first two couples that I have on my list are from the same TV show. Mm-hmm. And they're from the sitcom on Fox, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And the first is Amy and Jake. I've actually been rewatching the series recently, and, you know, the first time I watched it, I was totally enamored with them because they're they're really cute. Mm-hmm. But watching it again, they're just a really healthy couple. I know. And it's really, really refreshing. I know. Um, neither of them are shitty people, mm-hmm. and neither of them treat each other poorly. They have an amazing banter with each other. They're super supportive of one another, and... I think that we don't see enough couples in mainstream media that are uh, interesting to watch mm-hmm. and also not full of drama and, like, you know, cheating plots and temptation to cheat right, plots. Yeah, yeah. And like, or, like, that shitty sitcom, oh, The Wife, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Jake and Amy are unapologetically in love with each other. And they're also unapologetically themselves exactly. in their relationship. Yeah. You know, like, they're both flawed characters, mm-hmm. and they both accept that about one another mm-hmm. and are okay with it. You know, there's a there's one episode where they, they want to move in together, mm-hmm. and they're trying to decide whose apartment they're going to live in. And Jake is a slob and he has one towel whom he refers to as towel. (laughs) And (laughs) like it came with the apartment and everything and it's disgusting. Yeah. You know, the logical choice is that they should both move in with Amy, who is a complete type A personality, super neat freak. You know, obviously you'd think that there would be tension Mm -hmm. and, you know, someone like Jake would be uncomfortable living in that situation. And at the end of the episode, he just agrees to move in with her and it's not a fight. It's not him giving up anything even like he's just totally fine because he loves her and what's interesting is that we haven't seen in the show since then any discussion of conflict that that has caused Mm -hmm. it's just nice to see you know the second couple from the show is captain holt and his husband kevin i knew you were gonna say that I, especially rewatching it, there are so many moments where I just catch myself smiling when they're interacting. Mm-hmm. Holt is this, like, completely monotone, <laughs> no-nonsense. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how you'd describe him after that. Like, yeah. he, he's the type of guy who would, like, have on his desk everything laid out perfectly, you know? Mm-hmm. And, he, like, he never shows any emotion whatsoever. Like, he never laughs or anything. So, mm-hmm. He's a really, really funny, interesting character. So you wouldn't expect him to have this really tender, loving relationship with his husband because he's also gay. Mm-hmm. He's a gay black cop. He's <laughs> he, a captain in the NYPD. Yeah. Which, amazing. Amazing. But he really does. And of course, the fact that this is a gay relationship on a broadcast network, that is interesting to explore in itself. But the fact that this is such a 
healthy, happy, and romantic relationship. Like, even though they're both kind of, like, emotionless, it's so apparent that they love each other. You know, I just watched an episode where they explain how they go up to Saratoga Springs every single year to buy a pie. Oh, God! Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Listener, we're reacting because we live very near there. Yeah. And it's just, it's very sweet. And Holt has this car named Gertie that he's obsessed with. And you find out that the reason he's so obsessed with this car is because... It's connected to a story of when Kevin and him became closer. Mm-hmm. Check out the show. It's so good. Yeah. The relationships on that show are done really, really well. Mm-hmm. I actually knew this would happen, that when we started talking... I'm not good at lists. I'm not good at coming up with lists. But I knew that when we started talking, it would make me think of other couples. And mm-hmm. I think a show that shares a lot of DNA with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I probably actually shares, like, staff, like, writing staff, is Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, Ben and Leslie. How did I not think of them? I don't know. They're one of my favorite <laughs> TV couples of all time. Oh, really? They're, I love them so much. I'm going to die thinking about it. And I think that those types of unapologetically sweet couples uh, who are like healthy and in love with each other, mm-hmm. you don't see it a lot. You really don't. And going back to the, the, the thing about like Jake and Amy mo- moving in together never causing conflict after that and how like refreshing that is i thought the same thing when i watched parks and rec for the first time when andy and april got married in like season two Mm -hmm. and and it was like oh god this is a horrible mistake Mm -hmm. and i was dreading the storyline of them like breaking up and maybe divorcing and then maybe getting back together or whatever like i was dreading it I don't know why I thought it was going to happen. I just, I was certain it was going to well, happen. because according to the writers on most broadcast and cable television yeah. shows, in order to keep a relationship interesting mm-hmm. over several seasons, you have to make them break up with each other and yada yada all the time. Yeah, you have to keep the them apart. Yeah. yeah. But I was so sure it was going to happen at some point. And then it never did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I got yeah. to the end of the show and I was like, fuck. Yeah, like, I don't really like April too much, but Mm -hmm. I do like her and Andy together, and I also enjoy that their relationship is always loving throughout, Mm -hmm. and that they can- Supportive, and- that they can have B-plots individually that aren't about their relationship. That's awesome. Yeah. And Ben and Leslie, too. I mean, both Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec just did relationships really well. Some of the most romantic shit ever is on Parks and Rec with Ben and Leslie. Are you even kidding me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they're also so healthy. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. And it's it, like, gives you little butterflies and it makes you smile, you know? I don't know. Okay. So I just want to bring it back to where it all began. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So a big part of the reason Jen and I are friends is because of this animated show that was on Cartoon Network in the early 2000s called Teen Titans. That show spawned who I am today. She's not being overdramatic. I'm really not. Yeah. Um, That show took up a considerable portion of my adolescent years. Mm -hmm. I was there. I can corroborate. Don't pretend it didn't influence you a lot as well. (laughs) It did. I mean, the reason I'm a writer now is because of Teen Titans and Mm -hmm. because I discovered fan fiction through Teen Titans. Mm -hmm. And in particular, Robin and Starfire. (laughs) (laughs) I shipped them so hard, it hurt. I'm talking the way One Direction fans react to One Direction was how I reacted every time Robin and Starfire interacted in an episode. (laughs) Again, she's not exaggerating. I'm really not. When I was 11, (laughs) that was my life. So as a wizened old adult, Mm -hmm. why do you think the reason was that you were so head over heels for them? They were really the first time I ever encountered romantic tension between two characters that... I just didn't get to see realized. This was the first time in my life I ever had to, like, ship a couple that wasn't officially together for the longest time. And they have some really nice romantic moments in the show. If you don't know, Teen Titans is about basically all of the superhero sidekicks you know, they're all teenagers. They live in a giant tower together and fight yeah, crime. Yeah, like Robin is in it. It's based on the, the DC comics. Yeah, and... um. Starfire is not anyone's sidekick. She just is an alien that came to Earth and joined the team. And um, 
I really liked her character a lot. She's very naive. She's kind of like the Little Mermaid of the group. You know, she doesn't understand humans. And um, the show didn't hold up super well. Yeah, you recently rewatched some, didn't you? Yeah, it doesn't hold up super well. But their relationship is um, very sweet. Robin is very protective of Starfire, I think. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he's a total douchebag to her. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, not that Starfire needs to be protected, you know, like she's very powerful, but I think that's what made me so into this relationship is because he didn't need to protect her, but he just wanted to. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, I liked that. It, it made me giddy when I was 11. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> there was also a lot of that high schooly denial of their feelings to one another <laughs> that definitely hit some buttons oh, for me good stuff it really is you know <laughs> so yeah good one yeah uh okay i have one that is kind of weird it's f- from a japanese reality show and i actually don't have one couple in particular because there are a few that i have really loved there's a, a japanese reality show called terrace house it's on netflix if you haven't watched it go watch it it's not your average reality show It's not a dating show, which is why I feel like it applies Mm -hmm. here. It's just a show where six strangers live in a house together. But it's like, it's not an an American or a Western show at all. It's more about these people, usually younger people, going about their lives and forming connections with each other, be it friendships or romantic relationships. I mean, some people go looking for that, but not everybody does. Mm -hmm. The couples I'm thinking of, there was a guy who was on the show for a long time. His name is Armand. And the girl came in at the end. He, he like, did not have luck mm-hmm. romantically throughout, like, he was on the, he was in the house for a while. And, like, you can leave whenever. So they will have someone replace you if you leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, a girl that came in right at the end, his, her name was um, Masa, I think. And they got together right at the end. And I think they might still be together, which makes me really happy because they're very sweet. But the one that was really, like, like, I genuinely kind of got butterflies <laughs> during this, d- during all of their their interactions. There was a, a girl in the house. Her name was Misaki. She was very sweet and very cute, and I loved her very much. And then a new boy came into the house, and his name was Yuki. And he kind of instantly liked her, like instantly, and pursued it. And there was something really sweet about all of their interactions. It was that couple who's, that was, that's scripted that like the guy just like looks at her, not in like a, like a, a fawny way, not in like a, it's so hard to explain. I sound like a doofus. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like, there there was one time when they were hanging out in the living room, and she was sitting on the floor, and he was sitting on the couch, and he was just, like, looking over at her kind of dreamily. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, like, too much. It, it was, like, natural, but it was very obvious how into her she he was. Mm-hmm. It's just nice to see. I don't know. It was, yeah. it was very sweet and... Yeah. So the next couple on my list is Parsifal and Artemis from Ready Player One. Nice. Ready Player One, and I'm talking about the book. <laughs> I I don't I don't want to make any judgments about the movie just from the trailers I've seen. Ready Player One is a book about um this basically an RPG world. It's like Willy Wonka meets World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this big Easter egg hunt for this dude's treasure in this RPG world, basically. And the main character is this guy named Wade and his character in this RPG world is named Percival and he meets this girl named Artemis and that's her game name not her like real world name Mm -hmm. but what I really liked about their relationship is that Artemis is the only and I mean the only (laughs) representation of a true nerd girl that I have seen in any of the mainstream media that I have personally consumed so far yeah her her figure is described as Rubenesque, meaning she's <laughs> curvy. She's unashamed about her sexuality. She is sassy. She gets pissed when female characters are depicted in a shitty way. And she was written by a dude. How ironic. How ironic that she <laughs> that her character in the book gets pissed when female characters are depicted in a shitty way. That's yep. hmm. 
<laughs> yep. And she's a really great character. Also, she uh, knows what she wants and she doesn't let a relationship take that away from her. Hmm. But um, this is a little bit of a spoiler. So if you don't want to hear this, don't listen to the next 30 seconds. But at the end of the book, when Wade and Artemis meet in real life, she has a red wine stain all over her face. And she's, you know, the whole book, she's like totally afraid of her like appearance. She won't talk about it. She won't send him pictures or whatever. And Wade totally accepts her for who she is. And I really appreciate that she's a female character who is not physically perfect, but still (laughs) is considered beautiful. Yeah. Really like that. Their relationship is really sweet. And Wade is actually not gross Hmm. in the book. I don't know about the movie. (laughs) Okay. uh, For some reason, when I was brainstorming, I thought of Up just to bring everybody down for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I'm talking about... I don't know their names. It's been a really long time since I've seen that movie. But the old man and his wife in the beginning. And, you know, the yeah, everybody knows that the first 10 minutes of that movie is, don't watch is the it. worst. Don't watch it. Just think he's a mean old man yeah. for the rest of the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think that that, obviously, the reason we are don't watch it is because mm-hmm. it's devastating. And the fact that they're able to do that in literally, I think, less than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That they're able to depict this long, sweet relationship between these people in this wordless montage in the span of, you know, less than 10 minutes is crazy. I mean, Pixar is a little uh, ridiculous. I don't don't understand how they made it so effective. Yeah. Um, It's literally a lifetime. Yeah. That they condense into 10 minutes effectively and it's like super effectively really tender and yeah heartbreaking it's yeah it's awful and i you know my own grandparents and you know like yeah so so there's there's a lot of like nostalgia there because it is like they are depicting a lifetime and Mm -hmm. that kind of like yearning for someone to grow old with and then loss and just you know i mean it's awful but it's amazing and i yeah that, I don't know. I thought of it and I was like, ah, oh, God, <laughs> I feel so mixed about this. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the next couple on my list is Clark Kent and Lois Lane. <laughs> we don't really have time for me to um, go into my rant as to why I think Superman is actually a very interesting character and why everyone is wrong for saying that he's a terrible character. If you're interested, let me know. <laughs> And <laughs> hearing why I think that. Anyway, Lois Lane is a really great character. She's sassy. She's smart. She's so spirited. She's the type of person who will jump out of a flaming building just so she can get a story, you know? <laughs> and I love that. And Clark is basically a Boy Scout. <laughs> and I find it charming, first of all, that he's so enamored by her in the, like right away. And that he likes that she's kind of a hard ass and a bitch when she needs to be. Like, he likes that about her, you know? And I like that even though he's the strongest man alive, that she can kind of bring him to his knees. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That does it for me. And um, also, I I like that she, like, goes head to head with him in arguments and that she wins even though he is the strongest man alive you know because Mm -hmm. she is smart and she is sassy and in batman versus superman which i actually liked i don't care if you didn't um (laughs) making some enemies yeah whatever that's fine they actually did something very interesting with their relationship in that they made it that Clark felt he had to choose between Lois and saving the world. Mm -hmm. And he chooses Lois until he is forced to choose otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was actually really interesting. And um, usually Clark doesn't have to make that choice. Um, Normally it's like in in some stories, like um, Injustice, the video game, the Joker kills Lois Lane and Clark's son and he goes crazy. There are actually a lot of narratives about um, Lois dying or going missing or whatever, and it completely ruins Superman and he becomes evil, which I find very interesting that he is so vulnerable to this woman that he loves. Hmm. That it, like, you know, this man who has morals of steel, literally, he is the definition of a Boy Scout, you know? (laughs) I find it interesting that the loss of Lois can completely change who he is. 
I'm going to make some enemies too. Mm-hmm. And we don't have time for my rant <laughs> about Buffy and Angel. But my couple that I'm going to say next is Angel and Cordelia. We will talk about Buffy and Angel in our next episode. Yo, yay! <laughs> so that'll, that, that makes me feel better that I, that, uh, you know, I, I don't get to go into it now, but I can in a couple weeks. So, but uh, for me, Angel and Cordelia, uh, if you haven't watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I'm, I have no way to make this accessible to you. If you have, then you know that there was a spinoff called Angel with the character of Angel. And he went to LA and so did Cordelia, who was another character from Buffy. And they team up to fight monsters. You know, it's, it's very Buffy, but also not. Throughout the course of the seasons, Angel had this, like, relationship with Buffy on the show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And throughout the course of the seasons on Angel, he actually starts to fall in love with Cordelia, which I really was not sure how I was going to feel about. Now that I'm thinking about it, they never actually, like, get together because... Way to go, Jen. We won't... There were three (laughs) parameters. (laughs) I wasn't told. Um, Okay, but... We won't talk about the actual mess that is Angel, the the television series, but (laughs) for reasons, they never actually were, like, together together, but they did acknowledge their feelings for one another. And when when it first started happening, when it first became apparent that it was happening, I was, like, not sure if want. Because I love Cordelia, Mm -hmm. and for the longest time, I was not a huge fan of the character of Angel. Yeah, that sounds like you. (laughs) But... We've talked before, I believe, about the thing where if a guy likes a girl first. We're into it. You know, whatever. And that that's what happens here. They're very close friends. They mm-hmm. care about each other a lot. They're like family. But he starts to have these extra feelings. It, and it's very clear that he has them. Mm-hmm. And it's actually very sweet in a way that I never saw on Buffy with mm-hmm. him. And typical drama, and they never actually get to be together, but they were in love. And the the fact that, first of all, this show that made me love a character who I previously really did not love, Angel, mm-hmm. also made me really heartsick over a ship that I was really unsure about. And I, but I do think that their relationship and their feelings for one another were very sweet and tender and heartfelt and healthy. Which, for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer universe, they might be the only ones. <laughs> and, you know, you might disagree with me. I haven't seen it in a while. But I, I remember them being loving and supporting. I just have a couple of honorable mentions that mm-hmm. I want to, like, burn through really quick. And then we'll move on to the next category. Bob and Linda from Bob's Burgers. Oh. <laughs> they have such a supportive relationship. Mm-hmm. They're so loyal to each other. And they love each other so much. And... You know, even though things are terrible for them and their business is constantly on the verge of failing, they're still there for each other and they're still partners. They they are like really partners. And that's what I really like about them. Last one, Caitlin and Richard from The Legend of the Seeker. They are a prime example of how to keep a couple apart and make it not annoying and keep it super interesting. Hmm. Basically, it's a fantasy series, and Kaylin is this sorceress-type lady who, if she touches a guy, she can put him under a spell that makes him her slave, basically. So it, it's it's actually really interesting. It's a total commentary for how men are afraid of women. Super interesting. But for that reason, they can't be together because Richard is the savior of the world. And Rachel's been trying to get me to watch this show for years. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, she has refused. But anyway, so they, for obvious reasons, can't be together because if she, if he became her mindless slave, he wouldn't be able to save the world. So it kind of sustains this really, really sexy tension between them without making it annoying. Because they openly declare their love for one another, but they know that they can't do anything about it. And I'm real down for that. (laughs) Want to move on to our next category? Sure. Okay. So the second category is couples that aren't official. And the parameters for that, once again, were that the couple has uh, sexual and romantic tension that was intended by the writers, but we they never actually officially get together. So technically Angel and Cordelia... 
Can I go first? I only yeah. have one. Yeah, go ahead. I want to talk to you about Anne with an E. Yes, tell me everything. <laughs> Rachel. Jen. I hate it. <laughs> you hate what? Okay. <laughs> oh, Rachel. I'm so distraught. <laughs> <laughs> I am literally Anne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't want it. I didn't want it. Okay. I didn't want it. I, you know, Rachel and I feel this way sometimes. There's, there's stuff that we don't need romances in. Yep. And I f- felt like, at least for the first season, Anne of Green Gables would be one of those. You know, she is 13. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, you know, the, the show is like a coming of age story. She doesn't yeah. need... A, a romantic interest in season one. Like, obviously, I knew that she had one in the old series, but I didn't I didn't think he was introduced so quickly. I thought I would be safe for season one, at least. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> in, like, episode three or two? Two or three. I think it's three. I didn't even blink when Diana said the thing about... How dreamy Gilbert is. Yeah, I, I like, it didn't... I don't you know really why. Huh. I don't know why. It just didn't, like, occur to me. And then the first scene where they introduce Gilbert. (laughs) Oh, no. He instantly becomes one of the most charming characters ever, right? Yes. (laughs) You're so angry. I'm not happy about it. (laughs) Because as soon as as I saw him and I realized, oh, wait, that's that kid. Fuck, I'm such an idiot. As soon as I realized what was happening, I was like... No, fuck. Gilbert's character introduction. It's great. It's great. (laughs) What what happens is Anne, if you haven't seen it, Anne is walking to school in the woods and one of the bullies from school comes and like starts being very threatening and scary. And then this kid, this guy, like interrupts and starts talking to the guy like, hey, what's up? He's not saying anything, but it's like the way he's saying it is like, yeah, like, I, like I'm my, not cool my with what's happening. Like his presence is enough to like yes. deter off the bully and he knows it. Yes, yeah. exactly. I'm very there for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I am too. Like he's, he's a very charming 14 year old boy. Oh, is he so charming? <laughs> like props to this kid. He is, he is like the perfect hero for a 13-year-old girl. I hate you know? it so much. This actor, he does a really great job. He does a really great job. Yeah. Like, who is this kid? I was like, I don't know. I And I wasn't expecting him to be in the season so much. Yeah. And then he was, obviously. I mean, no spoilers, but he has his own kind of story. And, mm-hmm. and like... Oh my god, this kid was so good. He really was. And I and from from the beginning it's she catches his eye, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Dumb. And um, you know, some of his behavior isn't like the coolest or the smoothest. Mm-hmm. But I think he genuinely likes her and that obviously appeals to us and it's Yeah. Oh god, and, I hate it. And myself. Anne likes him too. Yeah. But she at first of all isn't allowed to like him because in her one of her schoolmates likes him Mm -hmm. so she has like claim on him so the fact that he likes her and keeps trying to like interact with her it's just making her life harder yeah so she kind of like hates him for that and also he's like the best student in the school so Mm -hmm. she considers him a rival yeah yeah i i'm very upset with how much i adore gilbert he's my son and i've adopted him and (laughs) i'm very upset that they the beginnings blossoming of their romantic kind of thing Mm -hmm. is is so sweet so the first and most important (laughs) item on my list for this category is eric and christine from phantom (laughs) of the opera (laughs) don't laugh Uh, i did you know phantom of the opera is the story about the uh deformed musical genius who lives under an opera house and stalks a soprano and um (laughs) eventually kidnaps her and murders people in order to keep her so (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He also threatens to blow up the opera house with all of them in it if she doesn't agree to marry him. Sure, sure. But he does it out of love, you see. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. What I actually really like about their relationship is the fact that Eric the Phantom is um, very broken and he has been abused and treated like a monster by society for his entire life. And when he meets Christine and decides that she has the perfect voice, he takes it upon himself to train her and make her like basically the best singer who ever lived. And she actually doesn't know that he's 
a person. She is in full mourning for her father and thinks that he is actually a, an angel that her dad sent down from heaven to train her to sing. Angel of music. It sounds ridiculous. It makes a little more sense in the book. So she actually really kind of grows to like love him, Eric, and Eric clings to that and feels loved for the first time in his life. And he, because he is broken, this isn't an excuse, but because he is broken, um, he decides that he's going to keep that no matter what and mm-hmm. kidnaps her. And what's what ends up happening at the end of the book is that, you know, he, he threatens her <laughs> and threatens to kill her and her boyfriend and everyone if she doesn't agree to marry him. And she does. And then he realizes that that is a monstrous thing to do because he actually does love her and he lets her go. And in return, she forgives him by giving him the first and only kiss he's ever received. And then he lets her live out her life peacefully. Now, I'm not saying that he's, you know, a saint for doing that because that's what he should have done in the first place. But I think that that does prove that he actually does love her. Hmm. And I ship them hard. I wish that they would just be together. (laughs) Uh, The next item on my list is going to require a tiny bit of explanation. Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy. I would like the tiny bit of explanation, please. Okay, so they do get together in the book. But Elizabeth never actually admits that she loves Mr. Darcy in the book. Basically, Jane Austen didn't write romances. And that is proven by the fact that, one, in her most, you know, iconic romance, with quotations around it, Elizabeth literally never says that she loves Mr. Darcy, even though he openly admits it several times. Interesting. Yep. And the fact that every time a couple, like, gets together... Like um, Northanger Abbey, for example. At the end, when they get married, when the hero, hero and heroine get married, it's it's a very complicated and uh, problematic relationship. And Jane Austen is acknowledging that by the fact that the page that describes when they get married says, they got married, bells rang, and everybody smiled. That is paraphrased, but that is essentially the line. That is all you get of the, the explanation of them getting married. Wow. The rest of the book is all about the hero's sister and the dramatic thing that was going on with her for the entire book that was never mentioned. And also in um, the, the novel Persuasion, it ends with Jane Austen insinuating that the hero, right after he gets together with the heroine, goes off to war and dies. She doesn't like say it explicitly, but she very clearly implies it. Interesting. Yep. So Jane Austen was not writing romances, even though in all adaptations, we interpret her as being a romance author. So the reason I chose Elizabeth and Darcy is because even though Elizabeth never actually admits she loves Darcy, their relationship is extremely sexy. Also, Darcy is the the lengths that he goes to to save her and her family. It totally proves just how devoted to her he is. Both characters really grow throughout the entire book. And Elizabeth, especially, the way that she comes to respect and admire Darcy and and who he is compared to who she thought he was. You know, like, even though she never actually admits she loves him, she does respect him and what he's done and what he goes through and... Also, their banter is really sexy. Like, they have they have some of the most potent sexual tension I have ever encountered between two characters. You mentioned it in a previous episode. Yeah, it's, it's like, you could cut it with a knife, you yeah. know? Plus, in the Colin Firth 1995 BBC version... Mm, Colin Firth. Colin Firth. The, there's this one scene where, like, going back to this this motif, where he he's just watching her, and it's like, oh. Yeah. Oh, that gets me, you know? Um, then, I have... Link and Zelda? From- I was like I was looking at your mug and I was like, she's gonna say Link and Zelda. Yep. She's gonna say Link and yep. Zelda. From the Legend of Zelda video game series. Mm-hmm. And they never officially are together. But in many games it is very clear that they're a couple, um in particular Skyward Sword. In all other games, it's a little bit debatable, mm-hmm. but I think that there's definitely precedent to argue that they I have- don't understand if you have Uh, yeah Yeah, like clearly there's something there and what i find intriguing about their relationship is that the the theory 
of the games is, and, and it has been confirmed by Nintendo, they, they released a timeline, is that each game is another chapter of this universe called Hyrule. Throughout history, they just keep getting reincarnated again and again and again to keep fighting this battle between good and evil, basically. And um, it's kind of tragic that that keeps happening. Yeah. And that they can't ever just, like, die and, like, just be at peace, you know? Or, like, be together. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Uh, they oftentimes can't be together because Zelda not only is a princess and, and Link is a peasant, but... Also, she oftentimes has to give up her life to continue protecting the world, you know? Like, mm-hmm. she, sometimes she will literally seal herself in a chrysalis for a thousand years or whatever, you know? I mean, there were scenes in the game Skyward Sword that actually made me cry. I you think- cry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't cry during things, but I did. So yeah, their their relationship really intrigues me. You know, also the the connection that they have both being these kind of spiritual beings that they can kind of relate to each other in that regard. They're, they are more than normal people, which, yeah. you know, I think that gives them a connection. And then my last couple is Cyrano and Roxanne from Cyrano de Bergerac. <gasps> Cyrano de Bergerac is a play that was written in the 1800s by a French guy. I can't remember the name right now. <laughs> it's kind of got a Beauty and the Beast vibe to it. It's about this guy who is like fucking brilliant. He's clever. He's witty. He's this phenomenal sword sword fighter. And the only thing is he's got this big schnoz. He's literally just got a really big nose and he has a huge chip on his shoulder about it. He thinks he is the ugliest man alive. And he has this best friend named Roxanne. They're like childhood friends and Cyrano is like really in love with her but he never tells her just to paint a picture while rachel is speeding through this i'm over here having a fucking existential crisis because i feel the exact same way about this (laughs) oh my god i'm dying oh (laughs) (laughs) and he never tells her because he's so self-conscious and ashamed of his appearance and this whole tragic story plays out where some other guy who he thinks is more worthy of her because he's more pretty shows up and wants Roxanne and Cyrano kind of helps him get Roxanne by like basically telling him what to say and Roxanne falls in love with this other guy because of Cyrano's words and it's just really tragic and the reason that they're in this category is because at the end right when they are like kind of about to get together Cyrano dies. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. Sorry, but I mean, it's also like 300 years old. So yeah, well, go or 200 years old. Go read the play or go watch the version with Kevin Klein, who is an amazing Cyrano. Yeah. Now we can move on to crack pairings. Okay. I have two ideas I want to talk about in this section. Mm-hmm. The first idea is. That inexplicable, almost childish, those two should get together. Like, I thought of when I was a kid, when I was, like, fucking four years old, and I watched Power Rangers. I was, like, the pink one and the red one. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know why. Like, it's just, like, so arbitrary. Like, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, I think she's pretty. I think he's cool totally same yeah Yeah. so like there are there are those how do you feel about beast boy and raven being in this genre in the in um, in, in teen titans they are in the show you mean yeah they are definitely a crack pairing yeah in the comic book they did it at one point get together yeah yeah but but that's my thing like the whole thing about it not the the crack pairing the parameters we're using for Mm -hmm. the purposes of this it not being intentional do you it wasn't intentional no, you I don't, know more about it than I do. I don't think it was intentional for them to have a romantic tension there. But, like, intent doesn't necessarily... Oh, yeah, the author is dead. Yeah, it, yeah. I'll I'll go into it a little more when I explain my first one. Okay. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, fans' interpretations can influence the intent later on. Yeah. You know? I yeah, mean, like, absolutely. with Garrus and uh, Shepard. Right. You know? Yeah. Like... So, even Which is not always a bad thing. I just not at say. all, no. Yeah. So is, is Beast Boy and Raven your first couple? They are b- directly under crack. 
great. Yeah, so they're they're my first. I mean, you know, I, I would be a liar if I didn't put them down. Like Rachel said, it was a big part of our adolescence. It a was big a part of our friendship. Yeah, it was like <laughs> kind of the, the our bonding experience when we first became friends was Teen Titans, mm-hmm. and we we read fan fiction together, and we watched the show together, and mm-hmm. we talked about it, and we drew pictures and you know we were fucking nerds but Rachel loved Robin and Starfire great I loved uh no no I mean I loved them I loved Beast Boy and Raven and I I don't know what appeals to me about them I think it's partially like an immature like those two because I do like both of the characters separately Mm -hmm. maybe part of me was like them but also I really there were only two female characters in Teen Titans There were only five characters, but whatever. I don't actually identify with either of them, but I guess if I had to choose between them, I identify more with Raven. And I liked Beast Boy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, well, I think even if it wasn't intentional, there were definitely episodes where they really bonded, you know? Yeah. Like, that show was terrible about... Continuity. (laughs) About continuity, but also about, like, giving characters opportunities to bond, unless that episode was specifically about those two characters. Mm Mm-hmm. But they, in particular, got a lot of chances to be affectionate with each other as friends. But, you know, it's pretty easy to (laughs) push that a step further with with some of the stuff that happened. Also, and I'm not saying this is necessarily an influencer for you. They're total opposites, you know. Mm -hmm. She can't feel emotion. Otherwise, her powers go crazy. And he's a giant goofball. Mm -hmm. So I think there's kind of an appeal because they had a huge fandom, you know. Oh, yeah. I think there's an appeal in that type of relationship dynamic. Like the opposites attract kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then for you in particular, uh, looking at most of your faves, there's a pattern I've been noticing and I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I'm terrified. Well, don't be. Define Trait what of are a lot you about your... to tell me about myself that I don't want to hear? <laughs> a lot of the defining traits about a lot of your faves, not all, but a lot, is that they are kind of goofballs, but who have like a... Why are you looking at I'm, me like I'm this? bracing myself. <laughs> it's not that bad. They're, okay. they're goofballs that have kind of a darkness. No, not really, but, but <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Oh no. Not even a darkness. They're they're total goofballs, but they have a kind of a serious undertone to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And I noticed that a lot in like um like Scanlan from Critical Role. There's uh I I am very pleased. I want you to I just want okay. you to know I'm very pleased. I just have more questions. Okay, um Topher? Is that his name? Yeah. From Dollhouse. Oh, no. I'm uh, being exposed. <laughs> uh, Wash. Suck. From Firefly. <laughs> I would even argue to an extent Dean from Supernatural and the Doctor. Especially David Tennant's Doctor. <laughs> Fuck you, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? So, you know, that that kind of describes Beast Boy to an extent, so maybe that's why you were into it. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I'm so uncomfortable. Oh, why why do we know each other too well? (laughs) Um, So, for my first couple in this category, Zuko and Katara from Avatar The Last Airbender. I knew you would. I knew you would. (laughs) When Teen Titans ended... I needed another show to obsess over because I was 12 and didn't want to live my real life. And, um... Same. (laughs) (laughs) So I moved on to Avatar The Last Airbender, which actually holds up super, 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 super well. Yeah. Like, I've rewatched it multiple times. It holds up amazingly well. I actually... It's one of my favorite shows of all time. I think it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Yeah. And there's four nations in this, this, the universe, and um, they're, each one is a different element. There's, there's water, earth, fire, and air. And the, some of the people of each nation can control these elements. So Zuko's character, he's the, the banished prince of the fire nation. And Katara is a waterbender from the Southern Water Tribe. Opposites attract. Yup. And that is a big part of why they're hot. Because literally, they they literally create steam, fire and water. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. The fandom for their relationship was strong. Like it was rampant and it was strong. And the creators, you know, God bless them. Mm-hmm. They gave us a lot. Like they gave us a lot of little tidbits to work with on purpose eventually. But at first it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. In the first season, they have a total interaction of like, I think three minutes of screen time. <laughs> But, like, people ate it up, you know? I think the the first two seasons combined, they had a total of, like, 15 minutes of screen time together. Mm-hmm. And people were determined that they were the perfect couple and that they had to be together. And they never got together. They should have. At least when they were both widowed and old in the spinoff series, The Legend of Korra. Like, there was no reason for them not to hook up. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> I I was so down for them. I really love the idea of, like, first of all, if you haven't noticed a pattern, I like angsty, broken guys. And I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I like angsty, broken guys. I like 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 funny, broken guys. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've seen you laugh that hard in a long time. (laughs) Well, anyway. Um, So, I, I just... I like that dynamic of, like, the the broken guy who, like, is healed and it's whatever. <laughs> There's really not a huge reason why I ship them. Like I said, they had 15 minutes of screen time in the first two seasons <laughs> together. Yeah. My next one is very similar. I have absolutely no idea yep. why the fuck I feel this way. Bring it on. Cabin in the Woods. It's very difficult to describe. <laughs> The plot of Cabin in the Woods. Just go watch it. It's very good. There's this group of friends. They go to a cabin in the woods. Bad things happen. Mm -hmm. That's all you really need to know. The main character is Dana. One of the guys. His name is Marty. And he's a pothead. And he's... He's the fool. He's also your type. (laughs) God damn it. He's also literally played by the same actor who plays one of the characters that you mentioned. Yep. Topher from Dollhouse. Um... (laughs) Shout out to friend friends. So there's not a lot of reason for me feeling this way. It's another one that's like, I like both of them. Together, please. You know, (laughs) I kind of see where you're coming from. Right? There is something like action movies going through something together. Like, totally. You know, like that kind of stress. And like, especially if you are mild spoilers if you're like the the two that are like 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 the the only ones that are left are yeah like if if you only have each other or whatever and Mm -hmm. i don't think anything was intentional however i will say in the novel version the the novel adaptation of cabin in the woods first of all never read it it's awful (laughs) but there are a couple lines about like marty like checking dana out or like like some some like like hinting at it and i'm like i don't want that (laughs) (laughs) like first of all it's really poorly written second of all it's not in character uh, for for in line with his character third i just i just i like what the movie gave us which i don't think was intentional but is how i would have done it if i were doing it intentionally if that makes any sense no i get it yeah so the other thing, the idea of crap pairings made me think of was I felt like there was this movement in fandom a few years back. They became really popular. Mm-hmm. But also there was kind of a pushback on the term crap pairings, like the idea of them, because it's so hard to place the line between what is a crack pairing and what is just non-canonical, which is why I wanted to confirm with you what the parameters were. Because the difficulty is, if someone ships a pairing on Tumblr, it, it used to be that, like, the crack pairings were the ones who, like, they've never met. Like, yeah, yeah. John and Daenerys in Game of Thrones would have been considered a crack pairing in season one. Mm-hmm. Because what the fuck? But then there are the, the crack pairings who, like... You know, maybe somebody sees something there that somebody else just doesn't see. And the crack bearing became kind of a term that could almost be passing judgment. I'm by no means a fandom historian, but I do think that fandom history is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And the little bit of it that I've experienced does have a little bit to do with this, it, particularly when you want to talk about something called queer baiting, which I think is a really kind of important topic because it's so kind of prevalent, especially now when it's, I don't know, it's really tough. So 
some of the pairings that I thought of, I actually had them in, in non-canonical instead of crack. And then, and then you laid out the parameters and I was like, oh, I'll move them down. <laughs> um, because I don't think that they're far-fetched. Mm-hmm. But the disappointment comes when they are not canonical and were never intended to be canonical because they are a same-sex pairing. Like, the famous ones are the ones that I thought of. Mm-hmm. Dean and Castiel from Supernatural. I have read enough think pieces on Tumblr <laughs> that I have been fully convinced. You know, I didn't have a horse in the race for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved Dean. I, I don't watch the show anymore, but I used to. I loved Dean, and it didn't matter to me either way. But I've read enough things from people online that I get it. Whether or not it's intentional, there are moments in the show that if you start looking at it through that lens, which shouldn't be that difficult because it's not like it's that fucking far-fetched, mm-hmm. like, there's, there's, there are almost, like, romance tropes that the, those characters get put in, like, yeah. routinely. So, anyway, a- another big one is the characters uh, Styles and Derek on the show Teen Wolf. This one is more, I would say, egregiously queerbaiting because now, okay, the term means, the the term refers to a same-sex couple that the fandom latches on to, but the creators, whether intentionally or unintentionally, kind of strings along for a while because they know that there is a built-in fan base who will support the show. Mm-hmm. So they keep those people happy while never having any intention of putting those two characters together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you were saying with Zuko and Katara, it's really cool that Mike and Brian, the creators of Avatar, gave those fans that chance. But the problem becomes when you're exploiting, you know, LGBTQ plus community members. and Yeah, which and, is not what was happening in that scenario. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like... <clears throat> You know, I I feel like Teen Wolf is a little bit of a a shittier example where Mm -hmm. um, it did feel like they were starting. It's a really weird fandom thing that I do feel like people need to talk about more because it's it's shitty and it happens. And if you're unfamiliar with the idea of it, you could miss it. Like I said with Dean and Castiel, like I didn't have a horse in that race, but like I'm privileged in that way Mm -hmm. you know but then doing research on it and realizing no you know what like these fucking people are right like what is this bullshit yeah you know god wasn't that so romantic rachel it was really romantic i just i I feel like there there must have been lit candles in the room Mm -hmm. rose petals everywhere Mm -hmm. you know Yep. Yeah. So to sum up, Jen and I both like broken people. <laughs> but Jen likes hers to be funny. And I oh, no. I like mine to be angsty. Isn't isn't being broken romantic, Jen? Oh no. <laughs> Too real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um you really called me out in this episode. <laughs> In fairness, we kind of called each other out. Yeah, well, you call me out all the time. Just maybe not on the podcast. (laughs) You've been doing it since we were literally 11, so. I love you. (laughs) Happy Galentine. Aww. In two weeks for our next episode, we're going to have a very similar episode to this one, only we're going to be talking about pairings that are supposed to be romantic whether that it's just a, a canon couple that it's meant to be romantic or a romantic genre uh, right and from, from a romantic genre that we don't find romantic yep <laughs> so if you um liked this and liked this departure from our traditional format let us know mm-hmm. on our website one person's trash is our treasure Dot com. Or let us know on Twitter. You can come talk to us at Optiot. That's O-P-T-I-O-T. And we're also on Instagram at Pod, And on Tumblr. You know. Optiot.tumblr.com. Follow us. There'll be something there eventually. Someday. <laughs> and subscribe to us on iTunes so you don't miss our next Valentine's-themed episode. <laughs> <laughs> Romance. <laughs> Romances that aren't so romantic. Yeah. Right up our alley. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of our brand, isn't it? Yeah, kind of, isn't it? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. 
Okay. Anyway, have a good Valentine's. Okay, that's enough. All right. Bye, everybody. Perfect synchronizedness. I'm very tired. (laughs) My excitement about talking about my favorite ships will keep me warm. (laughs) I just want to say to everybody, this was Rachel's idea, and I I think it's a great idea, and I'm so into it. I'm not good at making lists. (laughs) It's like... Hello, Rachel. Hi. What? <laughs> Actually, you know what? I don't know if they count. What were the parameters? <laughs> because I love... Fuck me. I thought I just put it on silent. <laughs> Damn it, I lost another fingernail. <laughs> I'm just gonna peel these off. Um, <laughs> Say crack again. Crack. <laughs> it holds up hella well. I don't want to say that. It holds up amazingly well. Can you guess? Guess. Just give me a can guess. You, can you give me a hint? All you did was look at me. <laughs> I like how I have just like general, like abstract ideas. <laughs> Instead, because I can't make lists. I'm not saying I'm not a flawed person, but. <laughs> well, why don't you start then? Ugh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs>